Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner, where uh, I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I do interviews with entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses for an audience of entrepreneurs who are building their businesses. And I I wasn't sure about today's guest. Not that she, she definitely has a great business. Um, Laura Spalding created Spalding Decon, which what they do is they clean up crime scenes, they clean up homes of hoarders, that kind of a thing. <laughs> I saw your videos. You're showing hoarders like and the disgusting lives that they have in crime scenes on YouTube. And it's so painful. And you're describing it the way that, you know, some of the cooking channels just describe what they're making for dinner. And I'm a squeamish person and I really struggled to watch it. But here's the thing that made me want to have you on. You are in an industry that's kind of a hidden thing. People are almost too embarrassed to be alive, let alone to be in this like publicly in this business and you instead have created it into a show i mean with production values that feel like they belong on a and e or or i don't know hbo and as a result you've turned your business into this media empire that is how big how many subscribers do you have on youtube uh we're approaching one million here hopefully by the end of the year yeah with multiple videos that have in the millions views. And then on TikTok, you're huge, even bigger. How many subscribers, how many followers uh, on TikTok? There's right under 4.4 million there in TikTok. All watching the disgusting things that I cannot believe these platforms allow, except you know what? This is life. This is what's going on. And I wanted to have you on here because I wanted to find out how you got into this industry. I know that's an interesting story, but also how you figured out social media how you made this work for you. It's not an obvious thing. And then you've got some interesting aspects of your business, like the way that you will take over some of these properties that look absolutely disgusting and you'll turn them, you'll buy them, and then you'll turn them into Airbnbs that people are happy to spend their vacation time in. (laughs) And then there's a software component. Anyway, there's a lot here to cover and I could do it thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. If you're like Laura and you want to build your software company and she's building software right now too, you should go to lemon.io slash Mixergy. They will connect you with phenomenal developers who will take your project to the next level at a great price. And number two, if you're not doing marketing right, online marketing depends on email marketing as a key component. If you're not doing it right, you should be going over to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy to get your email marketing software. First, Laura, I'm going to talk to you about numbers because I'm too squeamish to talk to you about some of the visuals. Where's the revenue? Annual revenue is how much? Uh, system-wide revenue is about $12 million, uh, for 2022. Okay. And we're saying system-wide because you own the location in Tampa and then there are other people Mm -hmm. who watch what you, what you've done and they pay you a franchise for you to get to do it in their cities. How much of, how much money comes to you? Not how much do they earn, but how much of all that franchise money and your own money and everything comes directly to you? Well, we have multiple, uh, streams of revenue. Uh, So royalties, kind of like the McDonald's model, is just one of them. Um, We also make money on um, our chemicals. We make money on merchandise. Uh, We're bringing in a call center into the the company for all of our franchisees to benefit from. So it really comes from all avenues. But, you know, I would say we're probably... uh, 50% 50% of that 6 million is coming into uh to the corporate office for this year. And then the other 12 the other 6 million is franchisees share of the money that they earn, am I right? Correct. Yeah. Wow. You're a millionaire. 
Yeah. <laughs> Multi several it, times right? over. <laughs> like, do you take more than a million out of the business a year? Oh, no. Um, you do? No, I don't. Uh, so we're still in, in big time growth mode. Uh, we've got about 50 locations right now. And I'm putting my profits back into the business to grow it. We've taken no external money. So we've bootstrapped everything, uh, putting it back into the business for growth and hiring fantastic talent. Where's the biggest beyond uh, people? Where's the biggest expense right now? Oh, definitely labor's number one. Um, number two, I would probably say it's software. Mm. You did tell me, look, this is a software company. You might be seeing us do cleanup wearing gloves yep. and hazmat suits, but this is a software company. It is. What makes it 100%. a software company? Well, so... Initially, when I started out, you know, we were just, you know, a one store show and, uh, you know, you're using maybe QuickBooks for your accounting and you're trying to find a CRM that uh, that could work with a service based business. But there was always really large deficiencies and we were having to pull in three, four, five different softwares to do one thing or, or to make our business, you know, complete. Well, when I started franchising, that really just blew up even worse because now we, we have a different CRM for franchise development. We have a different one for franchisees to use for their documents and contracts. And then we have a separate accounting system and a separate dispatch system. So it, it's honestly chaotic. Uh, so we decided like, hey, let's find a software where it's an all-in-one for us. And it literally does not exist. So huh. uh, we are in the beginning stages of, of really trying to find a perfect developer here to create what we need. And then essentially, you know, it, we're, we're a software company at that point that, uh, that we could uh, sell or license to other franchise systems, because this is a huge problem in the franchising space. I hadn't realized. And so now in addition to flipping homes and cleaning homes and everything else you're doing and being a media star online on social media, you're also going to get into software. I want to understand how you got here. And I'm also curious about this whole like buying the properties and, and turning them over. I looked at your LinkedIn profile. You're a police. You were a police officer at one point. Am I right? Yeah, correct. Seven years. And so then how did that lead you to clean up, cleaning up crime scenes? You know, what happened was I, I did that for seven years and, you know, my final two, three years, I just really became disenchanted with the low pay. And uh, I started to uh, seek out other ventures, businesses that I could start initially, probably as a side gig. And uh, I was kind of just racking my brain. And just one night I was working a homicide and this literally was a light bulb moment. Uh, there was a homicide and the victim's mother asked me when the police were coming back to clean it up. And it was like, we were just staring at each other. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know the answer to this question. And she's looking at me for answers. And I'm like, I don't know who does it, but I know we don't. Uh, so I just started mm. on this fact-finding mission, asking homicide detectives and CSI and basically anyone that I could ask, hey, who does this cleanup? Is this Does this exist? And resoundingly, everybody said, not only do we not know, we don't care. And I was like, wow, there's there's a niche here. Wait, wait. So if there was a crime in somebody's house, and I've seen some of these on your YouTube channel, they're pretty, pretty disgusting and also emotionally yeah. painful for me, and I'm not connected to the victim. But when that happens, it's up to the family to personally go in and clean. The police department doesn't horrible? clean. They don't partner no. with anyone. Isn't that horrible? Yes. 
It is absolutely so, horrible. And then beyond that, even if you, you want to do it, some of these cleanups, you, you don't know how to do. I think you were talking about in one of your earlier videos about how uh, you said to the audience, don't worry about it. We can get this water down the drain because the chemicals that we use will help. Anyway, I don't want to get to the details of it. I'm really yeah. squeamish about this stuff. But um, <laughs> most people don't know how to do that. Okay, so you said there isn't a service. I'm going to do it. And my understanding then is that at that point, you had the police department start to send you clients. Uh, yeah, give or take it. They were, I was, you know, hey, I'm willing to do this. Um, you know, the police department doesn't pay for this. And I was originally going to do it almost as a side hustle. And homeowners insurance pays the cost. So most times it's zero out of pocket for the homeowner. And so there were services like this before. It's just that your department didn't know about, about which ones to refer. And I guess people used to go online and find one, right? Well, I find that most departments either don't know or they're prohibited from recommending a particular company because it's a conflict okay. of interest. Okay. So they're, the family members are literally on their own. So I've, I've even had family members tell me that I asked the cops and they told me to Google it. I'm like, wow, okay. wow. Okay. So then where do you get your first clients if they're not allowed to <laughs> refer you? I did a lot of guerrilla marketing, uh, door to door. Like what? apartment complexes, hotels. Um, that's the biggest bang for your buck right there. Hotels. Well, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, they have what, 300 to a thousand rooms under essentially one roof. There's stuff that's going to happen there. But then if they do have a lot of stuff, wouldn't they have had a company by the time you came to them? Uh, sometimes. So a lot of times what they're doing is they're calling their janitorial companies who don't specialize in this. And they're saying, we don't know who to call. Can you do this? And the company either reluctantly does it or they turn it away. So it was, it, it was, uh, I think the biggest challenge of the business was awareness. Cause like you said, you had no idea. Okay. And so you're going out there, you're just talking to people and letting them know what you do. And I'm guessing by then, were you still a police officer? It seems to me like you left the Kansas city yeah. police department in 2001. Mm -hmm. And then I went to another smaller department on the Kansas side and I stayed there till 2005. Okay, got it. So in the early days of Spalding, you were actually still a police officer going door to door, offering your services and getting clients one at a time, it seems like. And then, yeah, very off, early because yeah, okay. the department was, was okay with it initially. And then they gave me an ultimatum and said, Hey, we changed our mind. Uh, either pick your business or pick us. So I said, I quit. <laughs> it was it was pretty easy would you give me like a couple of tips for how to get their attention how to get to the right person at some point i i could see that you're a methodical thinker at some point you came up with a few techniques what are some of the ones that worked for you that maybe the rest of us could use when we're using when we're doing sales yeah so uh it was a learning experience i'll be honest up front you know that obviously wasn't my background um what i did initially i was set out to kind of it's all about relationships make relationships how can i help these people and make their lives easier so these property managers for example you have to put yourself in their shoes they're freaking out you know there was either a suicide or a shooting or something in in one of their apartments or hotel rooms they want fast they want discreet and uh, they want it done a good job, obviously. So by providing those and actually talking and about those terms, this is what we can provide to you. Um, I, you know, kind of earned my way into becoming a vendor. 
And uh, at the very beginning, I had to make, you know, some concessions like, hey, we use this XYZ company. And it was typically, you know, some large disaster restoration company that didn't specialize in this. They were just kind of doing it to appease the client. Um, Hey, try me out. Um, if, if, you know, I don't do a good job for you, then you owe me nothing. But if I do a great job for you, you allow me to become a vendor. And it was one of those things I have to give in order to get in return. Okay. And it was crime scenes at first. How did you start to pick up on the fact that there are these hoarders who also have a a real need? That was actually by accident, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a large client that was a national property preservation company. And uh, she called me one day and she's like, uh, I know we use you for crime scenes. She goes, but I have a gigantic hoarder house uh, that's been foreclosed on. And if you can do crime scenes, you can do this. And of course, I never say no to anything. I had zero idea what I was getting into. I showed up at this house and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> this is crazy. How am I going to do see? this? And that, I mean, it was tunnels. You, you could, I, you could squeeze through a window to get in and it was tunnels all the way to the ceiling. Like it, it was from a horror movie. You didn't know what was in there. Uh, it was terrifying. You could hear things running around like rats, uh, but you couldn't actually see anything. Some of the videos that you've shown actually will, um, will include bugs. There will be, you know, pet feces, Sometimes the the dirt is knee deep. Sometimes it's higher. And that's what you're looking at over there as you're going around and you're saying, okay, I'm going to do this. How's the money on that? How much money do you charge for something like that? Um, At the onset, not enough. (laughs) Now that we've got it down to a science, um, you know, I'd say the average hoarder job uh, is between four and $8,000. Okay. And takes, takes a couple days. Um, But the way we, that we do it is we customize it. So not everybody wants a complete trash out. Some people say, you know, I want to keep 90% of this stuff, but I need you to sort through it and find the 10% that I don't want and then organize the other 90. And that is very time consuming. We've had hoarding jobs that are all the way up to $100,000. Because the person wants to be there with you and says, I need to get rid of things. You help me clear things out and I will be the person making the, the yes or no decision on different items. You got it. Ooh. And that's the challenging part because this is not just, you know, a janitorial job. You have a mental health component here that you're dealing with that uh, literally is mentally draining to our staff. Because this is a mentally draining environment to be in. And the person who got themselves into this space is also not fully mentally sound. No. Yeah. I've spent two weeks before in a woman's bedroom while she sat in bed and asked me to pull out every piece of clothing that I found. And she made the decision whether to keep or get rid of it. Two weeks it took. And these people will have tens of thousands of dollars to spend to do this? Yeah. I mean, a lot What's of them the are. What's the reason? I'm sorry, uh, a lot of them know, are what? They, yeah, they've, they've experienced a traumatic event in their life, uh, whether it's, you know, a death of a child, a parent, a divorce, it can be anything. And it triggers that onset of collection of useless items to the point where it impedes the functionality of the home. And uh, they may call it clutter, but it's hoarding if it impedes the functionality of the home. It's dangerous, too. 
meaning like maybe a child dies, they want to hold on to anything related to the child, then maybe they want to hold on to other things that are tangentially related, and then suddenly you've got this slippery slope where you're not throwing things out and you're already uh, deep in holding on mode, and so you just don't start to clean up. Yeah, I mean, think about it. We all know that person that says, um, you know, I'm going to go to the thrift store, I'm going to go to a garage sale, and they they buy stuff just to buy it, and that, but they come up with it with an excuse on the reason to buy it. That is typically right. the onset of, of when it starts. Okay. What was the next step? The next step was creating franchises or was it just no, uh, going to social media directly? No, the next step was meth labs. Meth labs. The next step was meth oh. labs. So uh, we started decontaminating meth labs. This was during the 2007, 2008 financial crisis. You know, um, there was no jobs to be had. Foreclosures were on the rise and people turned to cooking meth in their house and selling meth. So we, we started decontaminating those. Um, and then in 2016, we started franchising. And that's when we added the real estate component because these people could not get out of their homes. Uh, it wouldn't pass an inspection. A, a typical buyer, you know, won't buy that. So we started buying them as is and just essentially giving them a check and they walked away. Start with start fresh. Ah, so somebody had a house completely full of clutter and disgust. It, when I say clutter, it's just me right. softening it. The stuff on yeah. your YouTube channel is what people should go see. It. Um, and uh -huh. I promise I'm not I'm not exaggerating it. Like poor Andrew's trying to hype this up so that people feel like it's it's really disgusting. Yeah, it is. So you're saying somebody will have a house like that. They can't sell it. They would maybe pay you to clean it up and then go sell it on their own. And you're saying, don't pay us. We'll pay you. Give us the whole house. We'll figure out what to do with it. That was exactly. the discovery. That was a discovery. And, and it works for both biohazard and it works for hoarding. Uh, because the biohazard is typically, you know, hey, grandma died in Miami and the rest of the family lives in Texas. We don't want to move to Florida. Um, can you give us a quote to clean it up? Well, I'll do better. I'll give you a quote to clean it up and I'll also make you a cash offer to buy the property. And you know what? When you think about somebody who is in a motivated to sell moment, that is it. And when you think about someone who is not super price sensitive, they're not going to go and compare what it would cost them to have an alternative service, clean it up and then put it on the market. They're just at a place where they're in pain. It's worth losing a little bit of money or not trying to maximize their profit right. by by passing this on to you. Wow. All right. And these, I guess I always assumed that these places were in really bad neighborhoods, but you're helping oh. me realize that it's just regular yeah. people, sometimes very mm -hmm. well off. Tell me about the neighborhoods that these places are in. You know, we've done everything from, uh, I think a $2 million home was what, 2.5 maybe, um, all the way down to a mobile home. Um, this affects all people of all walks of life, uh, whether it's hoarding or whether it's a biohazard incident. Um, as you know, a lot of elderly people live alone and unfortunately not a lot of people check on them. So if they pass away, oftentimes they'll go undiscovered for a week, maybe even two. So it creates you know the need for our services. You know, as a kid, I remember saving things like baseball cards, hoping they'd be valuable. Uh -huh. And then there'd be some kind of giveaway somewhere where there's an, there was an article about how this might be worth a lot of money at some point in the future. And I started saving this stuff. And before long, I could, I, I wouldn't say that I was hoarding, but I was on the path to, and I really decided that uh, if I allow myself to go down that path, I'm not going to be able to move in my, in my own bedroom, my parents' house. 
And I said, from now on, I'm going to go the opposite. I have to go to extremes, and my extreme will be no emotional connection to things. I have to just let it go and force myself, even if it feels ridiculous to the rest of the world, because it is a slippery slope. Because if you save this one thing, it's kind of like a venture capitalist making an investment in a company. If you make an investment in one company, there's a good chance it's going under. You have to make an investment in 10, 20 companies. And so if I'm saving one thing, there's a good thing. It's a stupid thing to have saved. I have to save 10, 20 things to see if one of them will end up being the thing worthwhile or the thing that I need exactly. anyway. What a slippery slope. Anyway, let's talk about how you moved into into technology then. At what point did you say, I'm going to do some marketing that is not me going door to door to hotels and buildings and seeing if they could use my services? Well, um, in terms of marketing like that, that was relatively quick. You know, um, kind of it starts with kind of the Google AdWords, then the nurture campaigns, and then you know, coming up with, we have to come up with creative ideas for what we do. As you can imagine, you know, we, we can't mm-hmm. run a uh, magazine ad, a buy one, get one free, you know, it just doesn't work <laughs> for our type of business. Right. So um, we typically spend our marketing dollars on B2B. And then uh, the B2C is typically we get those by like a Google AdWords or an online type ad. You know, speaking of marketing, I should say that my first sponsor is a company called Send in Blue. It is email marketing. And here's the thing about email marketing. There are tons of companies that say that they do it. They will take your email list. They'll help you grow your email list, of course, because they get paid per email address in your list. They'll help you send your email out. But what they don't have is all the smart features that you need if you're going to do email marketing right. Things like, how do you do smart segmentation based on what people are really interested in? I always say the natural one is if somebody bought, don't send them an email offering them a discount on the thing they just bought like you send to people who never bought, right? You want to segment them out and start talking to them like customers instead of trying to persuade them to buy with big discounts. But there are others. Like, what are their interests? Some people are, are interested in one thing, others in another, and you need to find a way to, to customize your email to them. And it's not hard if you have the right tool. Neither is chat. We're finding that chat is actually becoming bigger and bigger. All that stuff is really important in your email marketing software. And when companies try to get you in the door, they don't talk about that. They just talk about how they'll give you free email marketing in the beginning. And then you realize, well, I don't have this feature and I don't have that feature, but it's too hard to move email providers. So I'll stick with them. Well, it's too hard to move email providers and the price is now going up significantly, much more than the free that was there before, much more than the cheap prices that were there in the beginning. Now it's getting really and really expensive because they've locked me in and I'm stuck, but okay, I'll pay it. And so that's the path that most people take. Don't be most people. If you go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy, that's sendinblue.com slash Mixergy, you'll get email marketing with all the automation tools that you need. And yes, it'll go beyond email to chat and other marketing solutions. But it'll start out inexpensive and it'll stay inexpensive. And you should, when you go there, see the pricing. In fact, I'm actually going to give you 50% off your first three months if you either use my URL or enter the discount code Mixergy. It's sendinblue.com slash Mixergy and compare their prices and, and features to anybody else. And you'll see why Send in Blue is what so many people in my audience uh, use which is why they keep uh, coming back for more ads. Go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. All right. I'm really excited, Laura, about the the size of your uh, social media presence. At what point did you start getting into that? You know, that was um, almost out of aggravation that we that we created that. So back in like 2012, I think uh, we started getting contacted by a lot of reality TV show producers. 
And they wanted to come film us and create some reality sizzle and then sell it off to hopefully become a show. Well, we went through this for like six, seven years, and it just kept going to dead ends. So I thought, you know what? We have a platform here, YouTube. Why don't we create our own show and see if there's a market for this? Because they kept telling us, listen, this is pretty gruesome. We don't think that sponsors will want to will want to post their ads on this. And I, and I always said, no, this is not for cable. This is for, you know, th- this is for paid sites like HBO and Netflix and, you know, Amazon Prime. So in 2019, I hired a videographer and an editor. And I said, basically, just follow us around to all of our jobs and film what we do. And I was shocked. We had like 100,000 subscribers within the first few months. So I knew that we had something there and we've continued it from that point. But it was full-time, two people, a videographer and an editor? Uh, our editor is outsourced. We actually still use the same editor that we started with, and uh, we, we got him on Upwork. We've, we've been using oh, him for wow. years. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so it was just one full-time person who comes and videotapes as you're doing things, does these yep. on-the-scene interviews with your people, close-up shots, far-off shots, the whole thing, sends it over to the editor, and it's up. Yeah, initially that's how we started because it was almost like a beta test. I wanted to see if it was if it if we had an audience. And this was roughly at the time when I think like Gary Vaynerchuk at the time was talking about how people should yeah. hire a videographer to go shoot that uh, what they do on their job. And I think wasn't Casey Neistat big at the time? You know, I don't remember. Um, I all I remember was that when I made this decision, all of my staff was very hesitant to do this. Um, They thought that it could backfire, that it could, you know, appear to be um, insensitive. And I, from the very get-go, I knew that if we took an educational approach to it and maintain the privacy of the client, that we could accomplish, you know, our goals. And so I see, it wasn't like you saying, look at how popular Casey Neistat is. Gary Vaynerchuk is telling us we should do more. No, it was you saying... These TV production companies keep talking to us and it goes nowhere and they talk to us and it goes nowhere and they think this is, maybe they thought it was something like Hoarders, the A&E TV show, but your job, what you're doing in real life is way more disgusting than what they show on A&E. And for that, and I'm guessing that was one of the reasons why they didn't turn it into a show. What else would you think kept them from turning it into a show? Well, I think it was, um, you, you never really know who the contacts are. So, you know, we're getting contact by you know, uh, wannabe producers, people that maybe just didn't have a big Rolodex, so to speak. So, you know, after kind of, they want to lock you in this contract and, and shop it around. And, you know, I just got fed up with it because, you know, you're, you're under contract with them. So you literally have to pass on anything else that comes to you. So I thought, I just want to try this myself and see if there's any accuracy to what they're saying. And, uh, you know, thank God I was right. Uh, because, we would have missed out on a lot of opportunities and it's, and it's really been great for not only the business, but for brand awareness. You know, Laura, um, I lived in Los Angeles for a long time and I remember seeing these people who would try to be producers and some of them were (laughs) well-intentioned just like there are a lot of people who want to be startup entrepreneurs and sometimes Mm -hmm. they hit, sometimes they don't. Some of these producers, they just felt like it made sense if they could create, find people to 
to uh, shoot video of, if they can create a story and then go sell it. Like the whole thing when they talk about it makes sense. As I'm trying to explain it right now, it just sounds dopey. But it makes sense. I could see what they're trying to do and I could also see why they fail. It's just not a business where there are a lot of winners. Meanwhile, on social media, frankly, there are a lot of winners. And so how soon after you published did you get a response that made you say this is going to continue? It was shocking. So, I mean, you know, to start from zero, we got like 100,000 subscribers within just a few months. And, you know, all of a sudden YouTube is sending us this award. um, And I'm like, whoa. So there's clearly an audience here. Um, What I was surprised about is the demographics on it. We're 75% female viewership, um, which I was a little bit surprised about. You know what? I'm surprised too, but not too. I can't figure out who would watch this stuff. Who is it? Who's who's doing this? Well, but, it's the true crime folks. Uh huh. They love it, and that's we match the demographics with them. Knowing that Ooh. now, I didn't know that back then. But true crime is also a seventy-five twenty-five. So then how does this work back to your business? Is it that somebody watches and then they say, "Well, there's my aunt. She's got too much stuff. I know who I can trust, who I should call. Or like, how does it go from viewer to customer? Yeah. So essentially we were trying to figure that out and we've been able to correlate just last year. We had $2.4 million of revenue that just came from social media. And I'm not talking about like, you know, courses or merchandise. It's just from people knowing us, the brand awareness and and saying, Hey, I know somebody that this happened to, I'm going to refer that refer you out. So that has created a huge amount of revenue for our franchise partners because they don't pay anything for our channel. You know, corporate pays for all of it, um, the production of it, the editing, the posting, the whole thing. So we are leveraging that to also show people kind of the educational behind it. And remember when I said my biggest hurdle initially was the awareness, we we were able to overcome that with social media. And so is your team still one videographer and one editor? <laughs> no. So we've, we've grown substantially since then. So now we have a media producer, a videographer, a couple editors, and a whole social media staff. Okay. And that, how much does it cost to produce all this stuff? Oh, man. You know, I, I haven't run the numbers recently on it. Um, to kind of divide it out, but we also get paid by YouTube, uh, for our ad, you know, the ads on there and YouTube has cut our, um, revenue substantially because they can, they limit our ads because of the work that we do. It's not, you know, PG 13. Right. Right. How'd you know what you should include and whatnot? Like you're including human body parts. You showed that. You showed poop, as I said earlier, and bugs. Mm-hmm. How do you know what, where do you draw the line? Uh, they actually do it. So we don't have to uh, come up with, hey, what will they po- What will they allow? What will they won't? But we just, we post it and then we wait to see if they're going to monetize it or limit the ads. But uh, we've noticed a, a recent pivot, so to speak, with YouTube and their algorithm. And what we're doing now is we're creating our own version of, say, Patreon, uh, where okay. we will host a paid wall and and kind of migrate over there and start putting our videos over there. So that way we have no limitations. It's it's not so much like Patreon is like the the 
HBO Max or something, or your own private yeah. Netflix yeah. that you're creating, right? Yeah, essentially. You know, I'm curious about what the revenue streams are. Um, why don't we start with you and then maybe we can talk about your franchisees because I think I saw on your LinkedIn that you said anyone who has a franchise with you has 16 streams of potential revenue. But Correct. for you, the parent company, there is you still do work. That's one. You mm-hmm. flip houses. Like by work, I mean you still do cleanup. You flip yeah. houses. That's two. You have <clears throat> YouTube revenue coming in from advertising. That's three. What else do you have? We have merchandise. That's four. Okay. Um, we also we have courses. Okay. <laughs> That's five. Uh, we make money from chemicals, from selling equipment. Uh, you mentioned the royalties. Um, we'll start monetizing the call center. Um, okay. And then we also make uh, revenue from... Uh, we Sometimes some of us keep the houses and put a tenant in there. So you're making uh. money in perpetuity. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so we can flip it, we can wholesale it, or you know, uh, we can keep the property. Um, we also can sell the items that we're pulling out of hoarder homes that they no longer want. So that's another stream of revenue. Um, and then we we subcontract a lot of the construction work, uh, so we make revenue off of that as well. <clears throat> okay. And, the, and then the service so verticals. The- There's multiple verticals. Okay. And so courses I'm assuming are for people who want to create a business like yours without being a franchisee, right? You got it. Okay. How many properties do you have um, at the parent company that you're renting out? I have uh, 13 myself. How do, and, and then you and I, before we got started, we're talking about how you're going to hire somebody to create new franchise software. I'm wondering, like, what's your process for managing all these different companies without having it become a distraction. I thought that business people should focus on the one thing they're doing well and then outsource everything else. Well, that's what I'm doing by, by having great staff, um, that manage stuff for me. So, uh, you know, we have a, a director of operations who handles all of the franchisee training, um, and, you know, coaching sales, all that kind of stuff. And then we have somebody that handles the national accounts, obtaining them and ensuring that our franchisees are performing on them. Uh, we have somebody in charge of franchise development, which is, you know, adding new franchisees. So it just keeps going and going, which frees me up to do more things that I love doing. What do you love doing? And then what's your process for outsourcing this? Right. Let's start with what do you love doing? What's your thing? I really enjoy the real estate side of things. I enjoy taking, you know, um, a lemon, so to speak, and making lemonade and, that has been super rewarding for me. And it's also, you know, kind of allowing me to build my rental portfolio. What have you done? Can you give me an example of a pro- of a project that you worked on that you're really proud to own now? I should bring yeah, my, I should definitely. move the mic closer to me. Yeah. yeah. So if you, if you go on our YouTube crime scene cleaning and you type in pet cemetery, um, that's a okay. three part series of a property that I purchased for $30,000. Um, I put a hundred thousand dollars into the rehab and so 130 all in it's worth 280 now and I've got tenants in there for 1700 a month. Oh, because they pay monthly for the cemetery services. No, we call the, we called the house pet cemetery for obvious reasons. You'll, you'll see when you watch the show. (laughs) Okay. And then now it's a rental home. Yeah. So I I remodeled it. 
All right. Um, I should say this interview is sponsored by Lemon.io. If you are like Laura, like me, like so many other people who need to hire developers for a project where you just don't have enough people on staff, the beauty of Lemon is it doesn't take a long time. They have a network of developers. As you probably know, it started out with Ukrainian developers because the founder was Ukrainian and he knew developers there. But since the war, they've expanded beyond. And the goal is to find people who are really good but undervalued and underappreciated because they are in parts of the world that people just don't realize have phenomenal developers and because they work remotely. Today, doesn't matter where people are, and if you're looking for great developers, they will match you with phenomenal developers, and they stand behind their work, which means you should challenge them. Say, this is what I'm looking for. Wow me. Give me the best possible developer, and then see what they've got. Challenge them. They stand by their work. And in fact, if you use my URL, they'll not only match you with phenomenal developers at great price, they'll also give you a discount on that already low price. All you have to do is go to lemon.io slash Mixergy. That's lemon.io slash Mixergy. You know, Laura, I've known the guy forever. I'm actually going to go meet him here. He's coming to Austin. I've never gotten to ask Alex, the founder of Lemon, why his company is called Lemon. What is lemon? I, the only thing I can think of is it just kind of sticks in your head because you don't expect lemon to be. Or maybe a tech they're company. making lemonade out of lemons, right? right? That's, that's kind of like the analogy I just used. So I don't know. It's a, I think it's they a used to be cool. called like developer ninja or some kind of ninja. And uh, that just became such a generic name that you got to get rid of the ninja thing. Yeah. And <laughs> they moved on to lemon. But I, I never asked him why lemon. I'll ask him that today. We're getting together for drinks, but I have a sense that he's not a drinker. Um, <laughs> um, all right. Uh, how do you get other people in and delegate this work to them in a way that allows you to focus on the stuff that you're good at being on camera, vision of the business and, um, and investing? You know, there's plenty of people that are much better than me at doing uh, a variety of things from accounting to training, sales training, uh, you know, to the IT side of things. We have a marketing team as well that, you know, handles the website, the SEO and all the GMB stuff. And it's really just finding those people that have a passion for that particular service. And then what I like to do is kind of, um, tell them, I always want to share my vision of the company with them and to make sure that we have some synergy there uh, because we're, we're going to be on a path together. And it's, I look at these people as teammates. So how do you do that? First of all, how do you find them? Do you get better access because of your social media presence? So uh, like everyone, you know, we struggle too getting good talent, you know, it, that's been the case for the last couple of years, but, um, we occasionally, very rarely, will use staffing companies if we have to, uh, if we're just having a really difficult time. Um, if we will, we'll, uh, you know, just use all the same Indeed, ZipRecruiter, that type of stuff. And then we just put them through kind of a multi-pronged process to find out, you know, we use Predictive Index. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's essentially a software, kind of like a Myers-Briggs. You're, you're taking the the test and we're seeing if they fit into our brand and if they're good with the particular team. So uh, if I'm hiring like an SEO person, I would uh, make sure that that individual scores match with the current team so that they have, you know, um, some continuity there. 
see it. I didn't know uh, predictive index, but I'm on their site right now. Yeah. And then you said it's, you're it's doing a powerful something. Tool. It is. Yeah, very powerful. Um, it's amazing what you can find, what makes the person tick, what motivates them. You know, everyone, a lot of business owners assume it's money, 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 but that's not really the case. A lot of time it's more freedom, more vacation, better health benefits. Um, and, and that will kind of uh, show you what makes them tick and what, what their motivation is. Do you have an example of someone who you were able to connect with because of this? Or someone who um, was not a good fit that you still worked with and discovered it and yeah, discovered I mean, afterwards it, you know, that you should have used it, predictive index? Yeah, yeah it's not. It's not foolproof for sure. Um, you know, we hired an HR person that was uh, essentially right out of college, scored pretty well on the predictive index, but wasn't um, completely honest with his experience. So, and then, you know, when we put them, we put him in this position, it was the sole HR person. So there was nobody to kind of rely on, lean against, anything like that. So it became blatantly obvious that he was kind of in over his head um a good brand fit but not necessarily a good um a good fit in terms of experience and then you said that you do something to make sure that they are a good connection with you is it well what is it that you do to make sure that there is chemistry there too yeah so what we do is um depending on the the position um, they, they have a zoom interview first to kind of go over the position, the requirements, their experience. Then secondly, they'll interview with the manager of that particular department. Um, you know, whether it's accounting or marketing or whatever. And then if they make it past that, and that person feels like that they're a good, um, a good fit, then I'll interview them. And that's kind of when I share my vision of where, where I see the company going and to make sure that, like I said, that there's, you know, kind of camaraderie there what type of work environment are they looking for? Because we're, we're pretty hybrid. Uh, we have several folks that don't even live in Florida. Uh, and then we have several folks that are that are, live in Florida and they're remote. So we're very hybrid when it comes to uh, work-life balance. What's worked for you on the social media side? Any tips? Yes. So my biggest tip that I can give anyone that's looking to grow their social media is to honestly stop selling. No one wants to go on social media to be sold. Uh, they go there for entertainment and you need to think of your viewers as entertainment. Um, I get asked a lot by um, other fran big franchise companies to help them build and grow their social media and they've all taken the wrong approach and it's, you know, sell, sell, sell. And it's like, nobody wants that. They're just going to, they're just going to, you know, delete the video or keep going or or whatever, they want entertainment. So no matter what you do, what type of business you do, you can create entertainment and value for someone um, without selling to them. And that's what we've done. We've, if you notice, we never say, hey, call us or you know anything like that. We'll have a, maybe a pop-up. Do you want some courses? Do you want to learn how to do this? But we, everything we do is an educational approach. I thought what you were doing was just kind of letting the camera roll and capture what came up and then maybe having some interviews with people who are on the job. But how do you intentionally create an entertaining show when you're working? What are you thinking about as far as entertainment? So what we think about is what is a novice viewer wondering? So if you notice, if you watch our videos, you'll have the text say, I'm doing this because, or I'm, mm. I'm using this particular chemical to get this stain out. 
uh, it's constantly like showing the person like they're an apprentice on the yes, job, what's going exactly. on. It's very demonstrative. Like we're, we don't hold anything back. And we got a lot of flack at the beginning. You know, people were like, oh my God, you're giving away all your secret sauce. You're telling everybody. And it's, I don't believe that, you know, I take the Gary Vaynerchuk kind of approach and it's like, you know, the values in the, is in the content. I'm not worried about somebody ripping us off. Like we're, we're not, you know, creating rocket scientists, you know, this is just cleaning crime scenes and people want to know the personalities behind who does this work and why do they do it? And sometimes that's difficult for us because not everyone that, that does this job is very um, verbal, I'll say. A lot of them yeah. are very introverted and quiet. So it's showing what you do and then explaining why you're doing it and what's going on. And that actually is it. a really good insight that I, <clears throat> I'm not into woodworking at all, but you know, we got some place, some space here in Austin and I figure I should be making some things for it, like a compost box because they don't do yeah. compost collection here unlike yeah. San Francisco. Anyway, I started watching these YouTube videos and there some of go. them just assume I know, or they go <clears throat> over my head. And what mm-hmm. I want is for them to show me and then tell me, exactly. this is why we're using this screw. Exactly. This is why we're doing this thing here. And then sometimes I'll even turn to it for now entertainment, even though I don't think I ever want to do what some of these people do. And you're right. If they explain exactly. it, it does make, yeah, it makes the whole thing feel less confusing and less like watching somebody like a child who, who's not sure what's going on in the world, but exactly. like a child who's learning about the world. Okay. So that's one. And then how do you get people to tell you more about themselves beyond what's going on their stories as you said like the technicians you're referring to yeah yeah so a lot of that is sometimes it's pulling teeth to be honest and other times it's um the videographer engaging the tech hey um you know how was your weekend what's your what's your hobbies you know and we'll obviously edit that part out and they'll just start talking about you, you just want them to be themselves. This is not, you know, uh, days of our lives. We want them to be themselves. We don't want them to be anybody else. Um, talk about, you know, your likes, your dislikes, why you got into the job. What's the most difficult thing about this job? And if and the best resource that we have for content is honestly our viewers' questions. We pay attention to every question that goes down below the video, and then we we answer it in the next video. Uh, okay, that makes sense. All right, I think I'm seeing where you're going with it. The thing that I'm surprised by is you do edit out the what did you do this weekend. I'm noticing that there are now podcasters who before an interview or before their show starts, they will spend some time saying, here's what I did this weekend. I'm really into brunch. And I have to say as a listener, I didn't think I would like it, but I do kind of like it. Oh, really? I, I'm Yeah, I don't know what it is. I guess it feels like I want to get a sense of the person who I'm listening to. And it may not work on a YouTube short where I just don't want them to even waste a second. But if it goes on a little bit longer, I want to get to know who the person is and feel almost like they're part of my my life. And I know Mm -hmm. that sounds lame, but I'm not looking to just get bullet points from a person. And I think it it varies. You know, some some of our viewers are super interested in what I'm doing. And I try to be an open book with that, but yet maintain some of my privacy. Other times I'll see comments on there like, yeah, quit the talking. Let's, let's get to the gore. Like they'll literally type that. So it's, it's kind of a hybrid of, of making everybody happy. You know, what was my favorite of all your videos that I've seen? And I I definitely haven't seen them all. Um, 
It's the one where you sat on a chair, I think, and you said, I hear what you're saying. Our video quality is not the way it was. We lost one of the people on our team, and now we're trying to figure out how to do this using some temp workers. We'll eventually get this right, but we hear you. And that little behind-the-scenes thing just, oh, here it is. It's from nine months ago, an update from yeah. CEO Laura Spaulding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the stuff that, do you ever, and like, just- have, did, mm-hmm. I was just going to say, it's just kind of, you know, open communication. Um, um, you know, they, they also understand, you'll see the comments below that, that probably say, listen, we know you guys aren't filming an HBO series here. This is something that mm-hmm. you're doing while you're working. So they're, they're not expecting, you know, Academy award-winning film here. Um, but I also want to say, listen, you know, um, candidly, our, our editor is Ukrainian. So we went through this period of migration Mm. with him and we lost him for a little bit and we had to use um temps and they just were not the same quality so you know i felt the need to kind of get on there and say listen i i realize it i agree with you um we're we're fixing it and thank god he's back with us i think he's he had to go to turkey he's in turkey now i think okay by the way who knew that so much of our lives interacted with ukraine I thought Ukraine was a little country that didn't really matter to us, that mattered more to Putin than to the rest of us. It turns out a lot of us were quietly working with Ukrainians without realizing it or dependent on the Ukrainian country for one thing or another. There's so much tech talent there that I I find that whenever we're outsourcing any tech-related stuff, the moral majority come from Ukraine. Yeah, they they there's that, there's food, there's yeah. just and this in this case you're talking about not so much tech talent, though tech is clearly involved, but there's an artistic component to this that's yeah. involved in this. Um all right. What about for TikTok? What are you learning on, about publishing there? Oh boy. TikTok is um I'll tell you what, it's like uh, the girlfriend that keeps changing her mind every day um on what she wants for dinner Be- because TikTok has literally modified their algorithm almost on a daily basis. And this is why we have, you know, uh, people on our social media team that literally all they do is try to keep up with the current algorithm. And uh, we'll find some of our videos get, um, it's not monetized, it's um, where they don't show it. Uh, I can't remember the term that they use, but and then what we we've got to figure out why, and then we have to pivot for the next few videos. And so we know that TikTok doesn't like blood. Um, TikTok doesn't like anything drug related, uh, whether you're cleaning it up or not. Um, okay. And like even on our hoarder stuff, if there is um, a lot of bugs or rats or anything like that, even some of those will get um, deleted from viewership. So we're constantly trying to figure out what that is. So what we're doing now with our media producer is we are literally going to, uh, in my opinion, a little more boring, but it's more uh, cleaning techniques that we're doing. Many of them are staged. Meaning you're saying, look, there's a lot of disgusting stuff around here. Let's just find one thing that's not so disgusting that we can show and maybe get the disgusting stuff out of the way and show that video. Yeah, like a refrigerator, for example, uh, we'll open it up. that will be full of spoiled food and we'll show them, listen, this is how you clean and disinfect a refrigerator that's this filthy at this magnitude. <laughs> and that seems to be OK. But if we show, you know, um, a blood spot on the floor and how we get blood out of, say, concrete, it gets it gets blocked. 
And the only way for you to know it is you don't have a contact there. It's just let's publish. And then if we see that a couple of things are, are not are not getting any viewers, we'll look for the commonality and then we'll make an assumption based on that. Absolutely. And, you know, I saw that YouTube did the same thing with, um, oh, I can't remember the guy's name. He went over to Patreon because I guess he, he does political talks and uh, just ba- almost like a news guy. And I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but they totally like demonetized all his videos because he was talking about politics on YouTube. So it's not necessarily gore or nasty stuff. I mean, even something opinion-wise, um, they blocked him. Is this him, Dan so he, Bongiano? No. Bongino? Um, no. Okay. It's a young guy, mm. and uh, he's Andrew got... Andrew something, I think, I've seen. What's the guy Yeah, name? that sounds more like it. Um, Andrew Tate. Yeah, maybe that's it. Andrew Tate. And he, he'll talk on YouTube about, hey, I, I can't talk about this or say this. So if you want to hear it, go over to Patreon. So he had to essentially okay. create uh, two different platforms for his content. How diversified are you with social media? It seems like YouTube is by far number one, maybe more than 50%. Even though TikTok gets you more viewers, YouTube sends you more business, right? Well, here's the crazy thing. So in terms of monetization, there's no there's no uh, comparison with YouTube. Um, Instagram, we, we're not, you can't monetize it unless you're selling something. Uh, so we, we don't make a dollar off Instagram. Uh, same with Facebook. We don't make a dollar off of that. And TikTok, once again, uh, the obscure rules that they have all of a sudden we'll see like $200 in our account or something. We have no idea why we have no idea how the revenue is calculated. Uh, there's no ads to it. So we, we really have no idea how they're quantifying this stuff, but it's nominal. It's not a lot of money at all. So it's all about YouTube and the rest is just playing in that space because you feel you have to be there and then maybe eventually something good will come out of it. Yes. And right now what we're seeing is YouTube is starting to change their algorithm on what they will promote and what they won't or what they'll allow. There is going to be a big time advantage for whoever is creating the next video platform that doesn't have, you know, doesn't basically put handcuffs on your, on your creators. Hmm. Uh, And whoever that is, is really going to explode. And you know what? And you're not even doing like email marketing much, right? It's there's no direct relationship as far as I can see. I'm going on to your whatever the equivalent of Linktree is that you use to show links. It's not there's you're not trying to get people to give you their email address. So that's a, a, a bad thing, in my opinion. So that's something that we're trying to figure out how to get that on a platform like YouTube, because in order to be able to capture that, you're, you've got to provide something. So we have the courses, we have the obviously the merchandise, we do remarket to those people. But in terms of just viewers, it's, it's maybe a little over, I don't know if it's possible or not. If it is, it's, it's unknown to me at this point. You know who's doing that really well is um, Charisma on Command. They would okay. do these great videos about what makes someone's talk or their personality charismatic. And then at the end, they would say, if you'd like to know more, they'd give this link to a guide. But um, I don't see a lot of people go from YouTube to email. It just doesn't seem like it's, it's difficult. A big thing. Yeah, it's difficult. So yeah. we try to, you know, nurture campaigns for everyone in our database that's either been a client or inquired or purchased something. But in terms of getting that access from the social media companies, it's difficult. 
I'm, I'm on your site now that I went over to your list of links. I ended up on your merch page and where you're basically selling like shirts with your ads on them for twenty nine ninety nine. with like, yep. it, it, it makes it more credible, you know, homicide, suicide, uh, horde errors, decomposition, whatever it is. Our phone number's here. We do the work. Not all heroes wear capes. Anyway. This has been phenomenal. I think if anyone's really curious about what I didn't want to talk about and to see if Andrew really just like is exaggerating or what, their YouTube channel is Crime Scene Cleaning. And if you go to, what is it, youtube.com slash crime scene cleaning, people could see it. Am I right about that? Yes, sir. You are. All right. And I want to thank the two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first is uh, if you're hiring developers, go to lemon.io slash Mixergy. And when you're looking to do email marketing, Go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. Laura, thanks and congratulations. Thank you for having me, Andrew.